You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Rough day for Stephen Moore. He's out at the Fed board nominee. President Trump saying he will not nominate Stephen Moore to the Fed board. This after a dizzying day for the conservative economist. He part of that day spent here inside of the Bloomberg News Washington, D.C. Bureau. We'll go through the TikTok fallout for Stephen Moore. Meanwhile, Attorney General William Barr, quote unquote, lied to Congress and President Donald Trump is obstructing justice by refusing to honor subpoenas from House Democrats. This is according to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She's digging in, folks, and she has a lot to say this week about the fallout from A.G. Barr's testimony. But does it matter? Does it matter? Because Republicans disagree. All of that, plus the continuing situation that we are carefully monitoring in Venezuela, and we zip around the world to Iran, particularly with the regard regarding those oil waivers, an all-star panel to help walk us through the politics, the policy, the fallout. Hagar Kamali, CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies and former former Treasury spokesperson for terrorism and financial intelligence. She's also the former spokesperson for the U.S. mission to the U.N. and Ambassador Samantha Power. She's with us for the hour, a good friend of the program. And Shannon Pettypiece, another good friend of the show, of myself. She's Bloomberg News White House reporter. And we'll hear exclusively from Mark Short. He is Vice President Mike Pence's chief of staff. Before we get to all of that, though, what a day. Shannon Pettypiece is Bloomberg News White House reporter, and we were just talking about how up in the House of Representatives today, Attorney General William Barr was supposed to testify before the House Judiciary Committee, and he said he wasn't going to do it because of the back and forth of the House members controlled by Democrat Chairman Jerry Nadler, a Democrat from New York, they wanted to allow counsel to testify him. So other folks beyond just the members of the Judiciary Committee and the attorney general said, no, I'm not going to do that. 
So regardless of where you fall on that issue, the theater, I always say this on this program, the theater of these house hearings, sometimes it's good theater, sometimes it's bad theater, sometimes it makes you hungry. Because, Shannon, there was this photo, there was this photo that happened of, of who was it, the, the, a Democratic uh, congressman with a box of KFC chicken, and I guess it was like a play on words calling him chicken bar and i couldn't he was, yes I, I, the house doesn't disappoint i mean you know <laughs> yesterday there was the senate you know it was contentious but it was you know a congressional hearing um and yeah the house again didn't disappoint today they uh were in session the committee the judiciary committee was there for about 30 minutes they had an empty chair with a nameplate for bar even though they knew he wasn't showing up and yet yeah, one of the members uh said referred to bar as chicken bar and brought a bucket of kentucky fried chicken that he ate during the hearing because it was supposed to to symbolize that Barr was a chicken for not showing up. Okay, Representative Steve Cohen, a Tennessee Democrat, he he said, he he brought in the the KFC uh, chicken. Quote, unquote, this is what he told reporters, chicken Barr should have shown up today and answered questions, end quote. We're going to have much more on the escalating situation. I'm not even trying to be funny. I mean, literally, a congressman brought KFC chicken to Capitol Hill today. Can't make it up, folks. But we'll talk about what House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has to say about all of this situation. I want to stick with policy. Shannon's with me. Hagar Kamali is also here. She is with us in studio, CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies. She's a former Treasury spokesperson for terrorism and financial intelligence. She's the former spokesperson for the U.S. mission to the U.N. and to Ambassador Samantha Power. Thrilled to have you here in studio today. On Thanks, Kevin. A busy day with Iran, with uh, Venezuela, and we'll, we'll talk about that coming up. But, but let's start with Stephen Moore, mm-hmm. the conservative <laughs> uh, economist who was embattled as a, nom- a potential nominee, I guess he was never technically formally right. nominated, but he was who the president wanted to nominate to the Fed board. Mm-hmm. So he comes into Bloomberg today, comes into the Bloomberg News Bureau, the Washington, D.C. Bureau, in the, uh, in the cabinet room, we call it here, comes down for an editorial board meeting. And I'm sitting in there with my, with my esteemed colleagues, the best in the business, especially the Fed reporters. And he is get- question by question, and I'm, and I'm watching him answer these questions and he almost had me convinced that he was going to be able to convince some of these republicans who have been on the record as saying that they were not going to vote for him he the way he described it shannon was he he believed that this would happen and and obviously as the morning turned into the afternoon it became very apparent that president trump withdrew his support for this conservative firebrand is what I'm going to use. And I think it's an accurate depiction, Shannon. Yeah. I mean, he was all in this morning. As you said, (laughs) 9 a.m., 10 a.m. He was confident he was going to get confirmed. He was all in. We had him on um, uh, Bloomberg TV. Uh, And then the president's tweet came uh, around 1230 saying that uh, Moore was pulling his nomination for the Fed board. And, you know, it, it made me think that before this is all done, someone will be fired by tweet while they are live on TV. <laughs> we got very close there today. But, yeah, that ends the Moore saga. And remember, uh, there was Herman Cain. It was uh, a just saga. A few, right, just a few weeks ago. There was all these questions about whether Herman Cain was going to get on the Fed board. So now they have two Fed board seats 
open. We've been hearing some names. There doesn't seem to be a huge consensus uh, at this point. So it's really kind of a, a mystery. I mean, if you were down, if you were at Herman Cain and Stephen Moore, two I think unorthodox candidates who had backgrounds that could have presented trouble in the Senate. Who do you then go to next if those were your previous two choices? And if you're in your car on your way home from work, and drive safe because the roads are slick and it is it, this weather has been bizarre here in Washington. Thunderstorming, nice. <laughs> it's like can't even keep up with it. But I, I just couldn't help when I was sitting in that headboard and then when I watched Tom Keene brilliantly question Stephen Moore on Bloomberg television, just, just how – it, when you cover the central bank, it's, it's, for lack of a better word, supposed to be boring. It's, it's supposed to be independent. It's supposed to be nonpartisan institution. And to watch this Trumpian candidate mm-hmm. come in and really shake things up. And look, there are folks who think that is brilliant. And there are folks who are concerned. But I want to play for what for our audience what Stephen Moore said on Bloomberg television before this tweet came out from President Trump and his how how unconcerned he was trying to give off he was. Stephen Moore, just hours before President Trump's tweet comes out that he doesn't want Stephen Moore. Here's Stephen Moore saying that he's not concerned on Bloomberg television. I'm not too concerned about this. Um, I, I actually think if we can steer the, uh, the discussion uh, away from things I wrote 20, 25 years ago and more towards what I believe in in terms of the economy and Fed policy and how to create growth and stable prices, I think I'm going to win a big majority. But see, Hagar, there was criticism of him, the comments that he's referring to, the comments that he made about women. Mm-hmm. But there was also concern on policy. Right. Well, you know, the, one of the biggest problems with him is he has no, almost no credibility, right? I mean, like, can we talk about the fact that he said on, on air that the biggest problem to happen in our economy over the last 25 years is the decline, supposedly, in male wages? I mean, he literally is making this up. And, you know, so between that and between what I found personally is, you know, a struggle to actually understand his policy, a struggle to understand where on earth he was going, what on earth he was going to be proposing. So between that and 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 really unsubstantiated lies, it just, you know, well, where do you go with that? This is a really reputable position here. This came up with, with Tom Keene, my, my mentor colleague here at Bloomberg, his hit during on air, but also came up in the ed board to hear these Fed reporters say, sir, at one point prior to President Trump's election, you said the national deficit was, was a major problem. Now you've since backed off. In this book that you wrote, you said that, you know, this should happen and now, and now you have this. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to play – I just quickly before we, before we t- switch gears here, I do want to play what he said about convincing Republican senators to get their support – because it, I just put yourselves in our, us reporter's shoes. Here's, here's Stephen Moore talking to senators about how he would talk to Republican senators uh, to get their support. Here he is. Just because a senator today says they won't for, vote for me doesn't mean three months from now they won't. It's going to be a different world, you know, two or three months from now when this comes up before the Senate. And in that time, I hope to talk to all the Republican senators. And, and uh, you know, I think the case for me is look at this booming economy. It, it happened in large part uh, because of the Trump economic agenda, which is great for women, great for minorities, great for every group. And here's Senator Joni Ernst to me on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, a Republican from Iowa. I asked her if she'd support 
Stephen Moore. Here's literally what she told me on there. Here she is. I would vote no against him should he come up for a vote. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to leave it there. Coming up, we talk more policy. That's it for Stephen Moore. Panel stage, Shannon Pettypiece, Bloomberg News White House reporter. Hagar Kamali, CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies and former Treasury spokesperson for terrorism and financial intelligence. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, and thanks for listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. History will judge us for how we face this challenge. We will all be held accountable in one way or the other. And if he does not provide this committee with the information it demands and the respect it deserves, Mr. Barr's moment of accountability will come soon enough. That was House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler, a Democrat from New York, speaking today to an empty chair, as well as to the audience within the room of the House Judiciary Committee chair, or the House Committee room, and, and of course the American people. Because A.G. Barr, Attorney General William Barr, was supposed to testify before the Democratic-controlled House Judiciary Committee. Remember, yesterday, A.G. Barr testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee. But he decided not to show up because there was this back and forth about protocol. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Shannon Pettypiece, my colleague, my friend, she is Bloomberg News White House reporter, joining me here in studio, as is Hagar Shamali. I've been saying your name wrong, Hagar, forever, <laughs> and you just tell me that it's Shamali. You know, with a name like mine, you get used to it. You don't even notice when no, people mangle No, I apologize. It. <laughs> There's no excuse for that, and I feel bad that you didn't tell me. Hagar <laughs> Shamali, friend of the program, friend of mine, CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies and former Treasury spokesperson for terrorism and financial intelligence. Remember her name, Hagar Shamali. She's a former spokesperson for the U.S. mission to the United Nations and to Ambassador Samantha Power. Shannon... I don't think the White House cares about the fallout of A.G. Barr not testifying before the House. <laughs> no. Uh, the democratically controlled House, no. I think their feeling was there was really no upside that could come from it. Uh, one risk is he could say something and the Democrats could accuse him of lying to Congress, which they are already doing from his uh, previous testimony. One of the things they've brought up that Pelosi brought up already is that um, he seemed to have contradicted his testimony saying that he did not know that members of the special counsel's team uh, had had issues with his four-page summary to Congress. And then now we know that Mueller had written him a letter in that time period. So he technically was aware there were concerns. And of course, there could be back and forth about the language and the wording of the questions. But Pelosi has come out and said that she believes that was uh, lying to Congress and that, you know, they're going to look at what the next steps are on this. And that's the type of thing that can happen when you testify. Uh, let's pl- let's <laughs> hear Let's hear directly from Speaker Nancy Pelosi, as you mentioned. I mean, she has really ratcheted up the pressure on the Trump administration to comply with congressional subpoenas. Here's Speaker Pelosi, uh, well, in her own words. The Attorney General of the United States of America was not telling the truth to the Congress of the United States. That's a crime. Hagar, but 
do I, I, I don't want to ask do people care? Obviously, people care. Mm-hmm. But is there it, 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 is this is is there any direct threat to President Trump to the administration, or has this just become? Part of the drumbeat, drumbeat, drumbeat. Right. It all feels like a game. I mean, even when I heard it, part of me, obviously I agreed with her, you know, and for a second there was like, you know what? She is right. And, you know, at first I got angry and then I was thinking to myself, I was like, what am I, why am I getting all bent out of shape? Nothing is going to change. This isn't the first time that somebody from the White House or someone from the administration is lying, certainly not lying, you know, lying to Congress included. Um, And so I just don't really expect much. It, It just feels like a lot of banter, right? It feels like a lot of pomp and circumstance. Shannon, so to Hagar's point, I mean, you hear from Hagar, she served in Democratic administrations. I mean, you hear what she's saying. The White House, the the sources that I talk to, it seems that they understand that. It seems that they understand that fatigue, Mm -hmm. that news fatigue. It's not Trump fatigue, the news fatigue Mm -hmm. of what Hagar's saying. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bit of concern politically on these things when it comes to the people who are in the margins who are the independent voters in michigan pennsylvania wisconsin maybe ohio who see all this and it leaves a bad taste in their mouth they make them think uh the president's behavior is questionable it's not presidential they don't like you know the way the attorney generals may be handling himself and those people they do have to worry about in the margins but um on a whole i think that the white house sees this as a winning political issue Uh, i think they would prefer everyone be talking as a winning issue well as a that that the more that this the they believe that the more the democrats hammer on this Mueller investigation uh that Democrats are going to overplay their hand, and particularly if the Democrats move to impeachment, that the Democrats will overplay their hand, and there will be a backlash the way there was with Clinton, where his approval went up following impeachment. And respectfully, when they start showing up with KFC, I mean, we we right. joked about it earlier in the show, but it's Congressman show, yeah. Congressman Steve Cohen literally showed up in the House Judiciary Committee hearing room. He's a Tennessee Democrat with KFC chicken yeah. to call AG bar chicken bar. And politically, they see that as everything that Americans hated about Washington right. and drew them to Trump. Completely. And, and, and also when you have how many, de- I mean, are the, how many people running for dem- in the Democratic office aren't in Congress? I mean, how, you mm-hmm. have more than a dozen of them who hold offices in Congress, that that is the drain the swamp. That is what push people away from a traditional Washington candidate and then towards Trump in 2016. To your point, here's White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders about the House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler. Here she is. We lost confidence in Jerry Nadler a long time ago, but it's surprising to find out that he's actually lost confidence in himself and his capability to do his job. Now, I think Chairman Nadler would disagree, but we'll have to leave it there (laughs) with the KFC chicken aside. Coming up, we hear from Mark Short. He is former vi- or he is current vice president Mike Pence's chief of staff all of because with Biden running it's like you got to get <laughs> it's like all of them <laughs> two very different people trust me i know uh, but Mark Short will hear about his take on the US trade policy regarding USMCA panel or Hagar stays Shannon I know you've got to leave us appreciate you dropping in I'm Kevin Cirilli chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio you're listening to Bloomberg 991 Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. 
Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Sound On with Kevin Cyrillic on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. What a day. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Major headlines. Major headlines. Let's start with what we've been talking about. Speaker Nancy Pelosi says Attorney General William Barr lied to Congress and that President Trump obstructed justice. There's that. And then there's this whole back and forth in terms of Stephen Moore. President Trump says that he is no longer going to nominate Stephen Moore to the Fed board. And then you've got the whole situation with trade policy, and that's where I want to pick things up. Because earlier today on Bloomberg Television, I interviewed Mark Short. He is Vice President Mike Pence's Chief of Staff. And believe me when I tell you, the Vice President's office is working in lockstep with this administration to convince Republicans to get on board with the president's trade policies. We've covered it here. We talk about it basically every day. There are many Republicans – Many Republicans, including the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, Chuck Grassley, Republican from Iowa, who are urging the president, aggressively urging the president to back off of those tariffs, especially those steel and aluminum tariffs. And that's where I picked up the conversation with Mark Short. Take a listen. I know that USMCA uh, is something that, that the administration is crucially focusing on. But, you know, if you look at Senate Finance Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley's comments uh, over the last several days, he says in an op-ed, quote, if these tariffs aren't lifted, USMCA is dead. There is no appetite in Congress to debate USMCA with these tariffs in place. He's referring to steel and aluminum tariffs. The White House's response. Oh, well, Chairman Grassley has actually been a strong partner of ours in a lot of these meetings. We'll be having the Senate Finance uh, Chairman over today at the White House to meet with the President. I think in conversations he's had with them is to recognize that some of these tariffs help bring Canada and Mexico to the table to negotiate a stronger trade deal. And uh, I think that he has flexibility that if we get this deal done, there could be uh, adjustment on those tariffs. But it's uh, let's get this deal done, and then we can readdress that. I think that you look at what the President's economy has done from the regulatory front, the tax front, and the tremendous growth we're having in jobs and the, the growth we're having in GDP, I think the piece that's missing so far is, is completing some of these trade deals, and the president has negotiated a better deal. We're quite confident that it will pass if it gets a vote in Congress. The challenge for us is, uh, is whether or not Speaker Pelosi decides to give it actually a vote in the House. Sticking with what you just said, you said adjustment in those tariffs. What does that specifically mean? Uh, I think that that's for the president to announce, uh, Kevin, at a later date. But I think he's heard the concerns from uh, from some senators who have said that uh, trade with Canada and Mexico is great. We like the new deal, but let's let's remove the existing steel and aluminum tariffs. I think the president said that he would be willing to revisit that, but let's get the USMCA deal done first. 
And, and, and in particular, you know, when I, when I talk to folks in the business community, uh, they, they've got concerns about the uncertainty that some of these tariffs has, have impacted on their bottom lines. What's your message to the business community? Is it stay patient? Is it stay, uh, stay optimistic? Because a lot of the business lobbying groups, you know this, Mark, they are very much vocally against these tariffs. Uh, Kevin, I think that the reality is that what we hear from the business community is a lot of support for the president's agenda. In fact, many who uh, who do a lot of trade with actually Asia have expressed, you know, look, uh, the reality is that a lot of administrations have avoided the problems that this administration is finally trying to address, whether or not that is stealing intellectual property, forced transfer of ownership, or, or even the, the deficit issue as it stands. And so we get a lot of support. I, next, I recognize that for a lot of them in the short term, removing the tariffs would help their bottom line, and I think the president is sympathetic to that, but recognizing that these have been forcing mechanisms to get people to the table. And the president has said repeatedly, he has said his ideal goal is to get to the point where, where there are no tariffs and it's, it's true free trade, but he feels like we're at a disadvantage because other nations have been imposing tariffs on us for a lot longer period of time, and we have not responded to actually negotiate better trade deals, which is what he's in the process of doing. Mark, I got to be honest, earlier this week at the White House when I saw Speaker Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer come out to the sticks at the microphones, and they were positive. They had this glowing meeting with President Trump on the issue of infrastructure, especially after what was a rocky, to put it mildly, relationship and tense in the past. Uh, is infrastructure really doable? And if so, how are you going to pay for it? I think infrastructure is doable. The president campaigned on it in 2016. He's a builder. He wants the infrastructure package. He believes that there's a lot that we can do for crumbling infrastructure in this country. I think that you're right. A big question remains, remains how will it get paid for? There'll be a follow-up conversation to the one that was had earlier this week in three weeks' time for us to compare uh, suggestions as ways to pay for it. I think one thing this administration will not support is raising taxes and, uh, and that whether or not uh, that is looking to roll back the tax cuts that we think have been and so impactful to the economy. Having said that, though, we're encouraged that at least Democrats, instead of looking uh, to continue to harass the administration with additional investigations, are actually looking to have conversations on policies that will benefit the American people. That was Mark Short, the Vice President Mike Pence's Chief of Staff, discussing a host of different uh, areas in which he's hopeful Democrats and Republicans will be able to work together on. Coming up, another one of those areas, the escalating situation in Venezuela. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also check us out on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. The brutal repression of the Venezuelan people must end, and it must end soon. That was President Trump speaking earlier today in the Rose Garden at the White House. He was speaking, he was hosting a National Day of Prayer service and kicked off the event with prayers for the people of Venezuela. The escalating situation in Venezuela has been uh, captivating the world's attention, uh, even beyond uh, the Bloomberg crowd, uh, Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro took to state television on Thursday and made mundane comments on the Bolivarian Revolution, the importance of military unity, and criticizing the United States. It was quite standard fare, as my colleague Fabiola Zorpa reports on the Bloomberg terminal. 
It's been a busy day in Washington. We've been following the developments. Stephen Moore, the conservative economist firebrand, officially will not be named to the Fed board. He will not be nominated. Meanwhile, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she says that President Trump obstructed justice and that Attorney General William Barr lied and committed a crime in his testimony. And even beyond that, we heard earlier in the program from Mark Short, Vice President Mike Pence's chief of staff, about the White House's positioning and pressure that they're pushing back on with Republicans who are raising concerns about tariffs and U.S.-China trade policy and, of course, USMCA with Mexico and Canada. But let's stick with Venezuela. Let's stick with foreign policy. Hagar Shamali, she is CEO of Greenwich Media Strategy. She's the former Treasury spokesperson for terrorism and financial intelligence and a former spokesperson for the U.S. mission to the United Nations and to Ambassador Samantha Power. She's been with us for the hour. I, I can't think of a better day to have you with us in studio. Every yeah. every single lead story, every topic today, it's like, oh, what would Hagar, what, what, what would Hagar think? So you know, there's always a national security crisis. Oh, <laughs> wow, always news to discuss. Always, yeah, there's always news. <laughs> always a know? big news day. Exactly. All right. Well, let's start with Venezuela. I mean, it it it, it really is. It, it's intense, and it feels mm-hmm. like the situation is so volatile that it could change within hours. Right. Hours particularly as dictator Maduro clings to power as Juan Guaido, who is the National Assembly leader, who the Venezuelan people have elected Mm -hmm. freely, democratically, and who has the support of the Venezuelan people, has the support of the U.S., Speaker Nancy Pelosi, President Trump, Emmanuel Macron, and the international community. Can he, can he get power from Maduro. I mean, I think this is going to be a long time in the making. You know, when I I handled the Syria crisis when I was at the White House and you know, Syria there are not a lot of similarities to Syria and Venezuela as countries, but there are I see a lot of similarities in terms of the crises and in terms of how the administration is responding and you know, one of the things there were a number of mistakes that we made and a number of false assumptions we made with Syria that I see playing out with Venezuela. And among them is this expectation that the military is going to defect. And that did not, you know, in Syria, I, I, you know, it's, it's a different situation. Obviously, in Syria, they were trying to fight for allegedly the survival of uh, a religious minority. So there's a different goal there. But you've only had one major defection. Um, in Venezuela since the anti-government protests started this week. It w- it's the head of the secret police, the Seven um, Intelligence Agency, and it is a significant defection, but it's only one. I expect more to take place, but that being said, I think that this is a slow, this is going to be a slow process. Now, Russia plays a really key role here, right? The administration has allegedly said that that Maduro was waiting to go, that there was an airplane on the tarmac. Um, You know, hopefully that's true. I don't know, because that really would be significant if that were true, but that Russia stepped in and said, you know, no. And the reason that's very interesting is for, I mean, first, this is our hemisphere, right? This is, this is literally our business. It's right across the water. And number two, so we have a greater stake in the, in the, in the, in the fight than, than Russia does. And number two, um, this is where Syria becomes important again, because if, you know, Russia could easily say like, look, you know, hang in there. We backed that guy and he, Assad is still sitting there. So don't worry about it. Can Russia afford to even get involved in Venezuela? Can they actually afford 
financially, mm. politically, investment-wise, do they even have the strength to get involved beyond just being a mosquito headache, beyond mm. just prying the U.S.? Can they actually do anything substantially with Venezuela? Well, can Cuba, right? Well, that, it's, uh, that's my next my follow-up. Right. So let's go there. So who is who actually is, is a bigger prying here? Is it Putin or is it Cuba? Well, so on the Russia piece, they can be a thorn in our side in Venezuela. Um, You know, listen, you have a point about their financial abilities. Obviously, Venezuela is logistically, physically far for Russia. So they can still, but, you know, as with Syria, they can still, if they wanted to, they could still provide um, military advice. If they wanted they want to, to send be annoying, troops, they for could. Lack of a better word. Absolutely. They definitely want to be annoying. This is a, this is a gift to the Russians, right? I mean, it's literally at our, at our, it's our hemisphere. This is our business. And so, um, you know, they know what they're doing by, by sticking, uh, by sticking themselves in there. Um, now talk about Cuba. So we yeah. get, we get that Russia wants to be a Annoying. We get that they want to sow yeah. discord in Venezuela. Right. Cuba. Why Cuba. is Cuba so crucial to this? So Cuba is an actual problem, like a real problem in Venezuela because Why? they're providing a lot of military assistance. They have spies there. They have intelligence. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of aid they're giving to Maduro to help prop him up and, and, you know, and, and secure his power. So now the Trump administration has responded by saying, you know, well, we're going we're gonna to make things even tougher. We're going to tighten the news, make the embargo even stronger. And so they've now allowed U.S. persons to sue companies in Cuba that are operating on seized land. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is that those lawsuits, should they take place, would probably go against European and Canadian companies that are operating in Cuba on said seized land. And this is not exactly the time to undermine a relationship with Europe and Canada on this issue. Correct. It's, it's critical. It's great that we have them on the same page when it comes to supporting Guaido. Hagar Shamali, CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies, former Treasury spokesperson for terrorism uh, and financial intelligence and oil. Venezuela mm-hmm. and oil, yeah. and we keep talking about this, but I mean, if, if you look at how Venezuela is, they're one of the world's largest exporters of oil right. and a founding member of OPEC, and in addition to that, I believe it's like 20% of global reserves, mm-hmm. so their oil market has been completely decimated, Completely, and the volatility yeah. in, the, in the Venezuela market is, is completely, completely decimated as a result of this. So there's the oil element, and then there's the issue of refugees. And this is where I think people are just starting to wake up, Hagar, which is that the the number, it's like a million already, have gone to Colombia. Yeah, from, it's, uh, I, three million refugees total. Three million um, I don't know if all went to Colombia, but, but not all, million. but I believe it's more right. than one million that have been going into Colombia. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is, that impact, I don't think, we fully recognize right. that just the longevity that this crisis, it is a crisis, is going to have this this Venezuelan refugee crisis. When you look at it in our literal backyard, mm-hmm. when you look at it in comparison for how this nation is having a national dialogue, to put it in lack of a better word, about immigration, this is not a quick fix. This is a commitment that both parties are going to have to make for years, mm-hmm. years, extending beyond the Trump administration and this impact on that. Right. Uh, 
So that's on Venezuela. We've got two minutes left because there was another major development with Iran, mm-hmm. speaking of oil, on waivers. What Bring us up to speed there. So the waivers, uh, well, there are groups of countries that are allowed or have been allowed under the oil sanctions to continue importing Iranian oil at um, a decreasing rate. And the money from that, critically, stays in accounts abroad that Iran can only use for humanitarian purposes. Um, so Secretary Pompeo last week announced that those waivers would expire. Today is the expiration date. And you have countries, you know, wavering. I mean, India has said that they're going to comply, that they're not concerned with it. Turkey has said that, you know, it's going to be difficult. You know, we're going to have to see how this goes. I think it was an unnecessary move, though. You think it was an unnecessary move? In terms of achieving the goal to deter Iran's behavior and bring them to the negotiating table, yeah. We'll have to see what happens and to be continued. Hagar Shmali, uh, thanks so much for coming in. A former thanks Treasury Department me. spoke. That's it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.